Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome back to part three on the cardiac uh, interesting cases from RSNA 2013. So let's finish up. This will be part three of three. 44-year-old male with atypical chest pain. Cardiac CT was ordered, and we're looking at the images, and I'll show you a few different images. And what do you see here? I'm going to ask you, what's happening with the LAD? What is the course of the LAD? Now, when you look very carefully, what you can see is the LAD is tracking through the myocardium, and you can see it very nicely in 3D display. And so, what's the best diagnosis in this case? And you can see I've given you four choices, and again, as you think about those choices, let's review and look at the course. Do you see stenosis in the vessel? No. Is there an aneurysm? No. Is there a dissection? No. Is there a fistula? No. Is there non-critical stenosis? Well, what we're seeing is it's coarse myocardial bridging. So let's discuss myocardial bridging. An epicardial segment of a coronary that courses through the myocardium is termed myocardial bridging. It's a congenital anomaly. It's one of the non-atherosclerotic anatomic abnormalities of the coronary arteries. Most people feel that it causes no clinical symptoms and is not of concern. But there's a lot of new information where people are becoming more concerned. If I ask the question, what vessel is it most commonly involved with? That's a straightforward answer. It's essentially almost always the LAD. And again, the LAD mid-segment is the most common zone. People, some people say it can result in symptoms in the mid-third decade and later. And the key thing is how deep the, the bridging is and for how long a distance. Okay, so again, some controversy. Here's an article by Nakura. And his concern was the segment proximal to the zone that has bridging is frequently involved in atherosclerosis, although the tunnel segment is spared. Myocardial bridging in the mid-LAD is an independent risk factor for coronary atherosclerosis in the proximal LAD. So you can see the segment that's bridging is not the issue, it's the proximal segment. And here's just a very nice schematic showing you the normal LAD and showing you different degrees of bridging. In terms of frequency, there are different numbers. This one article by Kentarchi, 3.5% had bridging. And you can see in the length of the bridge or the tunneled segment was between 6 and 22 millimeters, 17 millimeters being the mean, and the depth with a mean of 2.5 millimeters. Article by Jill Jacobs, prevalence of myocardial bridges was 10%. So again, there are going to be different numbers. It depends how you, strictly you are in calling myocardial bridging, which is often very subtle. We spoke before about approaches to the coronary artery, and myocardial bridging is under that category of anomalies, of course. Okay, no other findings were seen in this patient. So what happened to the patient? They were reassured, they were discharged, and they were to be followed conservatively. And that's typically what people do. I'll report myocardial bridging, but without any other finding, it's of no clinical significance. Now here's a couple easy questions, or not really easy, but a couple of identification questions. What's the vessel marked by the arrow? You can see four choices, and I'll show you the vessel. And you can see is that small vessel coming off the patient's right coronary artery. And that's the classic path, or one of the classic paths, for the SA nodal branch. And very nicely shown, tracking posterior. 
It can be confused occasionally with a aberrant or anomalous origin of the circumflex, which can come off the right coronary, then track posteriorly between the ascending aorta and left atrium. But in this case, you would look at the vessels and see that it doesn't track that far and that the circumflex was in the right position. So remember, that's the SA nodal branch. Then I'm going to ask you another case for identification and point to another vessel. And in this case, you have a vessel coming off the circumflex right there. And I'm asking you what that vessel is. Well, in fact, is this is also the SA nodal branch. Wait a second. How, does that make any sense? You've asked me a vessel of the right coronary, and now you've shown me a vessel of the circ, and you're calling them both the SA nodal branch. Well, you may have thought I made a mistake, but in fact it's true. There are two different pathways for the SA nodal branch. One is off the right coronary, and one in fact is off the circumflex. Article, SA nodal artery was the most frequently a large branch of the right coronary, 6.63%. 37% of cases, it arose from the left coronary, one of its branches, typically off the uh, circumflex. So again, a very important anatomic variation. Okay, very good. Now let's go back. A 56-year-old with chest pain undergoing coronary CTA had this finding. What is it? Well, you're looking at the left atrial appendage. Is that thrombus? Is that clot? Is it a tumor? What is going on? And so I'm asking you the question, what is happening? What is that? Well, when you look at it carefully, and I'll explain a little bit more detail in a moment, you'll notice that it has a fluid-fluid level. The contrast layers out, and the lucency is up high, and it almost looks like a flat line. And that's the classic description of a pseudo-lesion, or a pseudothrombus in this case, in the left atrial appendage. Now, how do I know that's a pseudoclot? Well, you look at it carefully, and here it is again you recognize that is that layering effect. And pseudoclots are not uncommon. Here's another one. Now, it's more common in patients with poor cardiac output. It's more common in patients with large left atrial appendages or with unusually shaped atrial appendages. But here again, it's a fluid-fluid level. You would never see a thrombus looking like a fluid-fluid level. This patient, yes, has coronary artery disease, but there's that beautiful fluid-fluid level. And here's another example. That same case, rather, you can see posteriorly the huge uh, low density zone, and anteriorly you see the contrast, and that's a pseudothrombus. When you have thrombi, they don't have this flat line. Here's a classic thrombus in the left atrial appendage, and this patient also had a left renal infarct, or this case with a pulmonary embolism and a left atrial thrombus. You can see it fills in the chamber, it's not causing this layering effect. There was an article by her where they showed that CT was 100% accurate for looking at left atrial thrombi, but the article did one thing that you typically will not be doing in practice. They did two phases. They went back a second time to look at the, at the left atrial appendage. And what happened was that second scan was 30 seconds after the first scan. And as I mentioned, the pseudothrombi is because of, of delayed mixing. If you wait 30 more seconds or a minute, then everything's mixed nicely. So my point is that if you think you see a thrombus and you're not certain, and you worry about a pseudothrombus, if it's a flat line, it's a pseudothrombus, if you're still not certain, simply go back and get delayed scans. It's just not that big a deal. Routinely, it's not going to be an issue, okay? Another case, 40-year-old, chest pain, shortness of breath, we're doing a triple rule out, 
No dissection, no PE, coronaries looked okay. What is this filling defect in the left atrium? You can see we look a little bit closer, it's a little bit irregular. You look a little bit closer, you can see the mass, and you can then look at it in a coronal view near the pulmonary vein. So what is this? What are we looking at? Well, it could be a thrombus, but you know, it, just the way it's off the wall and there's no stentin or catheter in, metastasis are rare. They can invect by they can occur by direct invasion from the pulmonary veins, and I'll show you an example. Sarcomas, angiosarcomas usually arise in the pericardium, and this was a classic example of an atrial myxoma. A very important diagnosis. Atrial myxoma is the most common benign tumor of the heart. It accounts for about 50% of benign cardiac tumors. Mean age is about 50 years of age, and it has a range of appearances from incidental to symptoms of arrhythmias, cardiac obstruction, embolization, or constitutional symptoms. It depends where it is in the atrium and how large it is. The vast majority attach to the fossovallus of the interatrial septum. And for myxomas, three quarters are in the left atrium, about one quarter is in the right atrium. And although cardiac masses are rare, patients with cardiac masses do present with acute symptoms, and you may see them in the ER setting. That indeed is very important. Good article by Linda Chu talking about cardiac neoplasms, the whole spectrum. At the end of the day, most commonly, it's metastases that go to the heart, not primary cardiac tumors. And when you speak about cardiac tumors, you can talk about benign lesions. We'll put myxoma at the top of the list, but there's a range of unusual lesions. And when we speak about malignancies, METs reach the top of the list, but you can't see lymphoma or sarcomas are all indeed possibilities. So in the case I showed you here, it was a beautiful myxoma, classic location, classic margins. Myxomas have variable appearances. They can contain calcification. It's again, as I mentioned, fossa ovalis, which was the last case as well. They can be polypoid. They can have hemorrhage. They can have cyst formation. Again, when you're looking at causes of chest pain, particularly as you look at the triple rule out, it's something indeed to think about the possibilities. Now, let me just mention a bit about triple rule out. A lot of interest in triple rule out. Patient has chest pain, you're not certain. Is it coronary? Is it PE? Is it aortic dissection? That's where the whole area about triple rule outs do come in. A uh, number of different discussions. This article by Gertner. Current data shows that in intermediate or low-risk patients, this method is suitable to rule out coronary artery disease. Again, uh, triple rule out can be very valuable in that regard. Another article, triple rule out is highly accurate for detecting coronary artery disease. So again, uh, I'm not going to speak about triple rule outs in this talk. We're going to come back to that a little bit later. But I want to emphasize that when you're doing coronary arteries, you're looking at the entire data set, even if it's not the requisition. So you look for cardiac tumors. You look in the field of view, is there a dissection? You look, is there possible pulmonary embolism? So it's not just looking at the coronaries that you're asked to look at. You need to look at everything else because any of those other sites can be sources of problems. Okay, another case. 41-year-old male, history of IV drug abuse and HIV, had chest pain. We were now doing screening in this patient. He was part of a trial. And we look at the images and say, wait a second, what's going on here? You see the patient's left main coronary going to LAD and CERC, and you see the LAD tracking normally anteriorly, but there's now a vessel that's coming, what looks like from the right side of the heart, and going to the anteriorly to the left side, like an LAD-type vessel. 
And then you look at that better in 3D and you can see it really nicely. It's coming from the right coronary, coming anterior to the pulmonary artery, and then tracking down over the left ventricle. And I'll show you some more views of that. And in fact, I'll make it easy. Let's look at these motion-related views. And you can see very nicely, as we scroll through the different views, you're seeing an unusual branch vessel coming off the right coronary, coming anteriorly, and then coming from right to left, and going to the zone where the patient's left coronary artery flow is from, from the LAD. And you can see this in 3D or 4D even, very nicely shown. So I ask you, let's go back to the original question. What's the best diagnosis in this case? And I've given you a few choices. LAD from the right coronary, that's kind of true, but that tells part of the story. It's not going to be a duplicated right coronary, I guess is a possibility. You can think about too many vessels, but it doesn't really look like that. Malignant course of the LAD, well, it's not a malignant course, whatever this is, because it's coming anteriorly. And really what you're dealing with is a dual left anterior descending coronary artery. A very unusual anomaly, there's four different variations. Um, and you can see in this case, we'll come back to our case for a moment, look how the patient's right coronary gives up a vessel which tracks anteriorly, then to the left to the LAD circulation. And you can see that again beautifully as we scroll through the data set. Just a very, very unusual anomaly, but it's one that occurs and one very important to recognize before you start scratching your head figuring out what is going on here. There's four types as I mentioned. The fourth type, the origin from the LAD proper, terminates high in the anterior ventricular groove. The origin is from the right coronary, anomalous prepulmonic course, and re-enters AG. And that's going to be the one you're seeing in this case. Good article a couple years ago talking about the importance of recognizing dual LADs. It's important because the of inability to visualize the additional vessel, especially when the long LED originates from the right coronary sinus. And this can be uh, misinterpreted at coronary cath for mid-LED occlusion. So it's a very important diagnosis. Now, a couple points, you know, looking at this a little bit further. It's interesting, it's a great case. The patient has plaque in the LAD, and here you can see a vessel coming off the right side of the heart giving rise to branches to the right coronary and to the left coronary. Just very nice visualization. And again, look at these carefully in 3D. I think 3D is particularly good when you're looking at anomalies and you're trying to figure out where they're tracking. So looking at slice by slice can be very problematic. Looking at the volume may indeed be easier to do. Now, in saying that, I think I've reached the end of my time and I appreciate you listening for these last three lectures. And I think I'll be back at RSNA. I've been invited back 2014. What's most important from these cases, again, a good approach looking at the coronary arteries. And you notice I didn't show you any coronary artery stenosis cases. So we're looking at things beyond stenosis, looking at anomalies and aneurysms and fistulae. So you want to look really carefully when you do coronary CTA to look at all of the findings that may be there beyond simply the coronary arteries and looking for stenosis. And with that, I wish you the best of luck and have a great day. Thanks a lot.